Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here, and we're ready for another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. I'm glad you could join me either today or by listening to one of the archives or through iTunes. Um, Well, it's the uh, first program of 2016, and unfortunately, one of our um, panel members, Tom is out with pneumonia, so he will not be joining in on the call today. I know that Nina D'Aaron from Central School in South Berwick, Maine, will be, although she's not with us yet, and I just don't know which of our British Columbia colleagues is calling in. Is this Carol or is this Susan? It's Susan. Hi, Ross. How are you? I'm fine. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. I guess you're getting a lot of me today, aren't you? I know. It's great. Um, Well, I know that Nina will be joining in. I don't know if Carol will be, um, but we have a bunch of email to respond to. Um, I'm just, but but you know what? Um, I think we didn't have you on our last call, and I know you're in a new building this year. Anything you want to fill us in on on how things are going in your new building with CPS? Uh, Things are going well. Uh, It's it's um, a different building, of course. We're not in the north. It's not as uh, needy poverty-wise. But there's certainly a lot of children who need help with CPS, which is good. And um, some exciting news, because uh, I'm taking this certification course with you, my district asked me to put on a series for them. So I did. I, have, I will start it next week. And I had said that I put a cap of 32 people to come to the series that I was going to do to introduce them to CPS. And they had such an overwhelming amount of people that I've put in that there's over 100 people now coming. Good for you. Which is fantastic. So I'm pretty excited about spreading the news and how to use CPS. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's fabulous news. We, by the way, have been joined by Nina. Nina, how are you? Mm-hmm. I'm great. How are you? Hi. And Nina, it's just you and Susan so far today. Tom is uh, homesick with pneumonia. Oh, that's not good. No, that's not good. Um, No. You recently had pneumonia, didn't you, Ross? I did have pneumonia. um, uh, And it wasn't that much fun. But... I don't think I had the worst case of pneumonia in the world. Um, I just know that it wasn't fun. Um, uh, Nina, Susan was telling us a little bit about how CPS is going in her new school this year. 
Uh, Nina, your school's been at this for quite some time. Any new developments in CPS at Central School in South Berwick? Um, I don't know if there's any new developments. Just a lot of, um, just a one, a lot of collaboration and working together, and always practicing our skills and introducing CPS to new, you know, new families and new students. So just keep we're keep on going in the direction we've been going, and um, it's just always it's always exciting and and fun. So we're doing, we're having a great year. You're in a groove. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, isn't it nice to know that you can get in a CPS groove? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, here is an email. We've got many to get through today if we don't have any callers. And I always forget to give the number, so now I'm going to remember to give the call number. If anybody wants to call in, that's 646-727-2691. Press 1, and you'll get through. And because we don't have Tom today and don't know if we're going to have Carol, there's actually room on the phone line for people to call in if they wish. And you two should know, I get tons of positive feedback on this program, almost no matter where I go, believe it or not. Oh, that's great. A compliment <laughs> to both of you um, and the others. Although Tom is, Tom is rarely on this program. He's, he's on this program in name only, right? <laughs> we need Tom. We, we need Tom, but we can, we can give him a hard time because he can't oh, talk, course. he told me. Uh, All absolutely. Right. So here we go. Here's the first one. Um, I have a 10-year-old son with ADHD, above-average intelligence, and a good work ethic. His, he is currently on homebound due to our and his doctor's request. Ooh. In spring 2015, his school implemented, and this is in quotes, behavioral strategies to address his, and this is in quotes, refusal to complete writing. This is after a year of 97% positive behavior. He ended up being in a room for two-plus hours and being held face down on a table. He left the room with bruises and finger marks in several places. We implemented some changes and sent him back in the fall with a no-touch policy. A new assistant in the building did not follow this, and my son escalated to fight her off. She claims she did nothing wrong, and the videos have been erased. He was suspended and is now on homebound, scared, and is suffering from acute anxiety and post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. He likes school, and we want to have him return at some point, but the district denies any wrongdoing in their practices and feels it is him, not them. It is not. I was... uh, School doesn't get it. Where do I go from here? Well, wow. yeah. I thought that should be the first one we do today. It's the most pressing. Um, obviously, we don't want to give mom legal guidance, but um, you both are principals. What would you recommend? Oh, I just think that it's such a sad situation, and there's a lot of there's a lot of different areas there for sure. The you know I, the no touch policy going in was a, a really great solution, but now that that's been that that's been violated, that's really difficult. It's you know I just feel I feel for this family, so I'm just very sorry 
for them. But um, you know, there's so much. Oh, there's just so much out there about restraint and touch that you know, research and you know, stories, different things that could that just needs to be the first step. They have to agree to the to, to not restrain or touching this poor this poor little guy. The other thing no, that's gonna... quite positive, it sounds like the parents are very involved, which is great because I have found in the past that there are parents who are not involved when their children struggle at school in, in this way or with teachers or admin, and they kind of take a step back. So, I'm, you know, that's a, that's a good thing that are, the parents are getting involved. I, I personally would go to somebody who could start off with the ALSEP with them and start that way. I know that sounds... I know maybe out there, but it, I, I honestly, we had a student very similar to this in my law school, and we just started right at the basics with the all with the counselor, and we just talked with the parents about it rather than the teacher, and we worked we worked through it that way. And he was in a specialized program for students with violent behavior, um, but we did. It took a t- it took quite a while, but we did get him to be able to verbalize what was going on for him rather than lashing out. And I don't know whether this child is doing that or not, but it sounds to me that if they have to restrain him, they're restraining him from something. But honestly, the ALSEP, and we did it many times because it changed on us, like what, what his things were, because as he progressed uh, and was able to, we were able to come up with a solution for one, something else would pop up, and it does take time, but man, it does make a difference. So I think that's, I would go to somebody that, they know that could facilitate that for them. Well, and we don't and know where it, they are. Sorry, go ahead, Nina. Right. Well, I was also just thinking, too, finding someone that could be flexible, building on the positive and building on trust. And, you know, it's not going to – this is going to take a lot of time just to gain back the child's trust and, you know, maybe starting slowly, going, you doing the LSEP and then, um, you know, trying to solve a problem of just a, chunking the time to get – to get him back in school and get him to be able to trust that the adults are going to listen and the adults are, um, you know, there's there's at least somebody to trust, even if it's just, like Susan was saying, if there's one person that could be his advocate at school, and that could be the a huge bridge. Mm-hmm. I would one also other. like to find out what the school needs to have him come back. Like, what mm-hmm. are the parameters that they've set up for him to be able to come back in a successful way? And are there exactly. any? And if there yep. aren't any, then they need to sit down. The parents need to sit down with the administrative team and the counselors and figure out what it is that, what's the baseline for him to come back? Mm-hmm. Because well, I think it would be really important to get him back into school as quickly as possible. I think. Yeah. Um, and to rebuild the rebuild the relationship with the parents and the school is, is key because if you don't have that, that's that he's going to suffer as well. I just, I've seen so and many times the, when. Yep. Yeah, that, that when that trust is broken between you know, home and school, that that needs to be really focused on working on that too. Yeah, I just think it's important to know what the baseline is. Like, what is the school looking for? Mm-hmm. Or, or do they not even have one? Right. Well, they, that... in this email, we've learned that the homebound is due to the parents' and doctors' request. Yep. So did you, not, did you say not... that he was suspended from school? Well, he was suspended but I don't think it was an indefinite, well, we don't know, but I don't think it was a, an indefinite suspension. But, okay. But that would, I mean, um, but they're saying that he's homebound due to our and his doctor's request. 
Um, mm. I guess my attitude is I don't blame them, but um, mm. they got some figuring out to do. Um, mm-hmm. Is restraint and seclusion allowed in British Columbia schools? Uh, it's it's frowned upon, but it is it it is being done. Like we do have restraint, but it depends on what it is. It's supposed to be non non kind of a, like a non-violent, a non-touching kind of restraint. It's we all go to, we we go to it for um, crisis intervention, but really the restraint restraint where you're actually holding on to a child it has to be extreme extreme cases like extreme. So. Right, um, and that, that I think they need to look into their the wherever they are the the restraint and seclusion law because you know, we that would be illegal here to hold someone face down. There's many states that that is illegal, so that's yeah. something to look at for sure. And no place is it ideal to have a kid with bruises and finger marks as a result of anything that is done at school. Oh. But the most no. striking part of this is um, where it says um, uh, and I actually misread something. Not sure how I misread this, but the district did not this is this part I didn't misread, but the part I did misread is it says um, I'm not sure how I did this, but I have been to a course on CPS and apply these strategies. He has dysgraphia, which was just diagnosed. Mm -hmm. This is one of his lagging skills. Mm -hmm. Um, But the part that concerns me the most is the district, forget the denies any wrongdoing part in their practices, it's this next part, and feels it is him, not them. Right, yep. Um, You know, I'm positive that this kid is bringing to the table some difficulties. So clearly there's something about him. But because it takes two to tango, I can promise you this. It's not just him. What do you yeah. guys think about that? Agreed. Well, I, I, yeah, absolutely. that's why I think a plan B conversation needs to happen with you know, with the school, with somebody from the school staff and the parents and the child. It has to be all together, um, there, and maybe somebody a little more neutral can help moderate that Plan B conversation in order to really hear, you know, hear everyone's concerns, but to really listen to the child. And hopefully, from a Plan B conversation, sort of that way, you could hear some of the school's concerns, but rebuild that trust. Uh, I just I worry about the adults, you know, being able to rebuild that before really can solve the problems for the child because it seems like going in denying any wrongdoing, you know, when the perception of the child and the family is that there was long, wrongdoing, I just think that needs to get worked out because it's going to be a rough a rough time trying to get um, trying to get the child back in school and, and then solving the problem about the writing is where it began. So you know, that's the problem that still needs to be solved that obviously wasn't you know, that's not that's not even the that's not the problem right now because he's not even there. So I think you have to solve that first before you solve the writing. Yes. Right. And I, I I worry about his peers and how they're feeling towards him. And I think for that reason he he needs to be back in school. And um 
and just worry about the perceptions that are out there because that's really hard to come back from. Right, and I just don't know how a parent can really trust a school when somebody has comes home with bruises. They're, the, the school needs to do some work, yeah. you know, to um, to talk about to talk about that and and maybe put that, you know, get that issue um, settled in a way of them figuring that out if if they can trust. You know, I just like Ross said, I don't know if my child had bruises. If I could just, I'd have to do a lot of work with the school to, to regain that relationship. Agreed. Let, let there be no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a list of CPS providers on the CPS Connection website, cpsconnection.com. We don't know where this mom lives or or dad, I'm not sure, or um, whether there's somebody in his or her area. Um, I certainly hope there is because... Um, I'm not sent as Nina just said. I'm not sending my kid back to school until I know that there's a plan in place, and and until I know that the plan is going to be closely monitored, and until we recognize that it's us, not just him. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Shall we move on to the next one? Sure. Sure. Here we go. Good morning. Well. I guess this was written in the morning. (laughs) I have just read Lost at School and attended your session in uh, Indiana. I really, really like this approach and have started to use it at my school. I'm struggling with how to apply it to one of my students who is diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. He is still currently heavily into flight or fight mode. His immediate response is to flee the room. This student, Nina, this sounds like some kids who I know you've worked with, and Susan, probably Mm -hmm. you as well. This student is emotionally ready to start and will be starting with trauma-focused therapy shortly. It feels like a lot of his behavior is driven by irrational thought, and he is not in the rational area of his brain while he is at school. But that is an adult theory based on the discussion between myself and the counselor. Do we still use the ALSIP and use Plan B as set out, or are there different steps? I'm just not quite sure where to start with him. Um, I'm sure you both can weigh in on this, because I know you both have had students like this. Mm-hmm. Who wants to start? Um, I can start. I, I would definitely do the ALSIP, just for sure. Uh, you'll get a lot of great information from, from an ALSIP, and then absolutely do the plan b as when as you know you best can when if he is in that you know kind of fight or flight a lot at school i would try doing a lot of empathy step and just trying to make it very short just but even a short plan b is going to gain the trust and then sometimes you know we've done plan b conversations in different locations where a child's more comfortable maybe you know, if there's a great relationship with the parents, it could even be in the home, or it could be at a neutral spot. Um, but it just—it's going to take a while. It sounds like there's a lot of different things, but such—you know—wonderful to hear that that recon—you know—the recognizing of the fight or flight and the recognizing of the um, trauma is, I think, wonderful. That the teacher is recognizing that and knowing that this is going to be different than maybe other kids, but that it's going to take time. But it's definitely still—it's. Still doable for sure. 
Now, Susan, before you go, I would like to push Nina to be a little bit more specific because I know <laughs> you've had some runners, hallway yes. runners, out of the school runners, kids who had trauma histories, kids who um, had very large piles of unsolved problems and it seemed completely untenable. Um, I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about any one kid in particular, but you've got some kids who you all went from what we might call ground zero to not even knowing that this kid had special needs. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could be a little bit more specific about how you all did it. Yeah, I'm thinking of one child in particular that was, you know, fight or flight was all that was all that was happening. And we started, again, we started so slowly and building relationships with the child and building relationships with the, the, you know, the mom who had fight or flight as well and a lot of trauma with experience with school. So spent a lot of time just building relationships, building relationships, listening and empathy, and then trying very specific working as a team to really narrow down the problems so that we could, um, you know, once the first problem, the one that was the you know the most challenging, you know, running out of the building, really focusing on that and working almost as a whole school so that you had, could communicate with everyone that this is what we were, this is what we're focusing on and these ones we're not focusing on. So I think that's really important as well because it, as I always say that it, you know, the, the successes are always kind of quiet and behind closed doors and nobody can quite see those, but the, the, you know, the hard moments or the moments that are the most challenging are usually pretty public and you can say, oh, that child's having, you know, this isn't working because I saw him running down the hallway. But you have to communicate all the positives and the plan with with as many people involved so that you can um, keep doing what you're doing and not getting discouraged. I think that's really important. And it, I just think knowing that this little guy that we he did that for, it took you know it took a long time. He, he took you know a good year to do enough problem solving where he could be in the classroom for most of the time. You know, we started really on a small scale, but it's so worth it and I think it can feel overwhelming and oh this this isn't work this isn't gonna work, this is gonna take too long, but just seeing him today as a total just part of the community, part of the school is, you know, such a success, but definitely starting small and that you can't go wrong with building a lot of relationships and doing a lot of empathy in the beginning. How long did it take I know that it took a long time, a year or so, to get him spending most of his time in the general ed classroom. Mm-hmm. That's that's obviously the holy grail. How long did it take for you all to start seeing decent progress on the fight-or-flight piece, which it seems like would have to come first? Yeah, actually, it's. Inter- I was just rereading some notes that I had um, from from this situation, and it was... Even from the first day that we met the child, it was one of those situations where just kind of showed up in school and we had no idea who he was or what we were what we were facing. Um, and even I, I mean, I was like, oh no, what are we going to do? And then from that moment, from three weeks later, when we had the first big meeting with you know everybody involved, you know, I already had written uh, this big note about advocating for what finding out what his needs are and his concerns. So I found out a lot about him just in three weeks and saw 
you know, problems getting solved enough to know that we were heading in the right direction. So that that it does happen quickly enough that you see you see the fight or flight reduce and you see that you can then start to do the problem solving that you need to do. Susan, tell us about uh, some of yours. You know, it's very, very similar. Um, it happened <clears throat> with me and with students for sure. The only thing um, that I can add, and I think you even said it, is that um, letting the other staff know. So I know that for us I do um, – a very quick slideshow of the students that we are keeping an eye on or, or that we're doing um, Plan Bs with so that the other staff know how to react when something happens outside or in the hallway. Um, and, and that's the only other thing that I would add to what Nina has said, and I'm sure you did that as well, but I just think it does make a difference of how everybody reacts because, honestly, once you get to a point with a student where things are working, it only takes one or two to say something the wrong way or um, to get the, it, to get it off track. At least that's what we found. So if we could have... Oh, I think that's so, that's so key, and I think that took me a little bit to realize that it wasn't, you know, because there's definitely different school of thought, like we need to know information, but I so err on the side of we're a community and um, we need to all be invested to, to help the, the students. And, you know, like you're saying, one I just remember one child when we first started CPS and we were working so, you know, so hard on trying to solve problems and um, help the child be successful who had some pretty extreme behavior at school and at home, um, do that somebody, uh, somebody walking down the hall just told him to take off his hat, you know, and, and that was enough to ruin the day. So that's where I really did start learning, like, you just have to put it out there, like, please do not ask him to take off his hat. It sounds silly, but that's enough to... Yeah, we're not yeah. working on the hat issue. The hat issue is, you know, that's three years down the line for working on other things. A couple of staff members that I knew might react in a negative way, I'd just say, just back away from the child. Come and tell exactly. me. Pick up a phone. Back away. Don't say anything. Yep. Because yep. I knew that once something happened, it would become more of a violent issue than a, than we wanted at the time. So Absolutely. And, and, you, and you get to know your staff and how people react, and there's some that you want to wrap around this child and, and others, you just kind of say, you know what, your skills work with other children, but not with this yep. one. Yep. Yeah. And that reflective piece, but being that reflective is, you know, such a. Uh, I've seen that change throughout the years, like, and mm. the, and I think that's huge when you can be reflective on your own practice or your own personality or your own what you can handle and what drives you crazy. I think, you know, that the staff needs to trust that you're going to be responsive to that too, because that's. You know, CPS isn't just about, you know, doing whatever the child wants. It's also about, you know, problem solving together. So I think that's mm-hmm. that's important. I think that's really important. I would just throw in my own two cents here for the ALSIP. Um, I think that saying the kid has PTSD is fine. I'm sorry that he has a trauma history. Um, very sorry, obviously, as I would with any kid. But we don't want PTSD to define this kid. We want people in the building to be sensitive to the fact that the kid has a trauma history. But we still want to get to know the kid through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Because I think he's been traumatized is only going to go so far as it relates to helping us understand this kid 
and the expectations that are difficult for the kid to meet and that may be setting in motion fight versus flight. That's going to be unsolved problems. So I would just push a little bit on moving beyond trauma, which is a very global explanation for the kid's difficulties, move beyond fight or flight, which refers to the kid's behaviors once an expectation the kid is having difficulty meeting has set in motion fight or flight yet again, and get more specific. What what are this kid's lagging skills? Some of them actually predate the trauma, I promise. Mm-hmm. And what expectations is this kid having difficulty meeting because that's what we're actually going to start working on. The lagging skills are for the lenses, and I just think that the lagging skills are going to take people even further than the PTSD or the trauma history. And what are we going to be working with the kid on? If if we can start working on something, some of those unsolved problems that are setting in motion, flight versus fight. There's my two cents. Shall we move on to another email? We have no callers and we have no Carol. I have this bad feeling I reminded Carol of the uh, uh, program today by sending her an email to the wrong email address, but anything's possible. Here we go. (laughs) And Tom, of course, has pneumonia. Uh, This one says, I'm a school psychologist and I really enjoy Dr. Green's books and philosophy. I have recently been placed with a group of kindergarten students, and I'm a bit out of my element. I'm usually with high schoolers. What advice do you have about applying CPS to work with younger children who can't typically articulate their feelings? Do you have any specific resources available for working with pre-K and kindergarten students? Thank you. So before you both jump in, the first thing I would say is we're not necessarily looking for the kid to articulate their feelings. We're looking for them to articulate their concern perspective, point of view, but that's all I have to say at the moment about this. What do you both have to say about this? Does this look dramatically different with um, pre-K kids than it does with high schoolers? Susan, I think you get to go (laughs) first this time. (laughs) You know, I haven't done it with somebody pre-K. I've done done it with kindergarten, um, but they're five turning six. I don't know what he means by pre-K. Is that three? Um, I do know that on the website you've got some great pictures that kids can point to uh, that that I think would work really well. I also know that using that five-finger method uh, on how what they're thinking or, or whether it's true or false and, and getting them to be able to talk is also a really good method, and it does work. Um, I, I think, personally, I believe that CPS will work for all kids of all ages, for anybody. I actually think it'll work for adults. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of, I'm, I've really jumped in with two feet here. I, I totally believe that if, if they're not talking, there's a way to do it through pictures. There's a way to do it through that, as you said, and as you've talked about that five finger method of whether it's true or not true. And I think it'll work. Nina. <laughs> Well, my life is usually with the we're pre-K through three, so I completely believe that um, that CPS works with four and five year olds, and I find them to be you know if you make sure you have the time to sit and really listen and 
<laughs> just like Susan is saying, you can find out they are open books. So, uh, you know, I think um, they ca- it, especially if you do just like you were saying, Ross, stay away from the feelings. I think when you mix feelings in, it does get more confusing. Um, but when you're really sticking to what are you thinking and trying to drill down, they can tell you and they can really tell you when it's not when you're on the wrong path. You know, they're really good at telling you if you say, oh, are, you know, what I think you're saying is this. They'll tell you no and know that you're you're going down the wrong way and that you need to drill, drill uh, more and go, go you know go down the path that they're they're heading. So I I love working with four and five year olds and I haven't worked with high schoolers except for my own high schooler. So I think that's tougher, but that's just me. <laughs> so, no, I know you're not old enough to have a high schooler. Come on. I do. I'm a freshman now. It's crazy. <laughs> I have a senior. Oh, that wow. is the, wow. Yeah, our unsolved that. problems these days are <laughs> difficulty completing college applications. Oh. My concern, which we will jump to, is that if you do not apply, you cannot conceivably get in. <laughs> right. That is definitely true. <laughs> here's what I also here's my two cents. Um some people have heard me say this already. I think you start solving problems collaboratively with infants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and infants don't have words, but infants do have concerns, and they do have uh, unsolved problems. And we do collaborate with infants because once we try to figure out what's getting in their way, and once we try to apply interventions that we would think will fix what's getting in their way, we are 100% dependent on the infant to give us feedback on how we did with our solution. And as I always say, if we got it right, infants are delighted to let you know. But if you get it wrong, infants are delighted to let you know about that as well. Mm-hmm. And that's called collaboration. And that's yep. collaborating with kids, pre-words. Um, so my attitude has always been, and I do this with three-year-olds all the time, um, Nina tells me that we need to show up and get some footage of people doing plan B with three or four-year-olds in your building so that we can (laughs) show people what it looks like. I've got decent footage of doing this with a three- or four-year-old, but you can always get more. Um, But three- and four-year-olds, just like infants, have concerns. Three- and four-year-olds, just like infants, have unsolved problems, and you can collaborate with three- or four-year-olds. I just spent some of the morning listening to some plan B that was being done with a four and a half year old in my certification training that was done by one of the people who are participating. And uh, it was a hoot. It also took like 53 (laughs) minutes, but it was a hoot because, um, you know, it was hard to get this kid to shut up. Um, (laughs) And somewhere in there were his concerns and there were actually quite a few of them. Um, so it was sort of fascinating. It did take a little while, but um, I find that three-year-olds, if they have the words, are going to tell you what their concerns are, and if they don't, they're happy to let you know in some other way, just like an infant. Um, so the general principles of the model apply, even if the plan B doesn't look like the videos on the Lives in the Balance website. Shall we do one more? Sure. Here we go. Uh, Our school serves primarily Native American students um, and will be implementing a PBIS 
program. I'm not certain if the PBIS program addresses different aspects of behavioral challenges than CPS does, so I'm hoping you can provide a quick synopsis on the differences between the two. Our student population represents a demographic rural in nature with limited opportunities and many obstacles to academic success. Uh, what I saw as the social worker on the reservation was what I would characterize as a poverty of the soul, which is ameliorated by every negative coping strategy available, drugs, alcohol, bullying, abuse. When children are dealing with this environment, how do school staff create an environment where learning can take place? Thanks for whatever information you can provide. I think we'll save the CPS-PBIS contrast for the next program. Mm. Let's focus especially on the demographic that she's referring to. Susan, and I can tell you, I personally, while I am have worked with reservations and spoken on reservations for um, people in North America who are called by various names, but the indigenous peoples of North America, mm -hmm. um, and I'm very sensitive to their circumstances in many cases, but not all. Um, not all reservations are the same. Not all uh, tribes are doing the same. Um, for me, poverty brings to the table a lot of things that are being described here. Um, I know that you both have people, kids in your buildings who come from impoverished circumstances, though not necessarily uh, what can be called Native American. What do you all have to say to this person who's working in a school, aside from the PBIS part? You know, I think it's the same for all students. It's just having a welcoming environment where you are open and ready to listen to families and students and just have that open-door policy. And I, I fully believe in doing cultural experiences at the school level and inviting everybody in so it's not just students, it's parents and grandparents and, and just making it a community where people, well, people feel safe, especially the students that come to school. I think that's huge. Um, I recently was working with a woman who is really, really struggling with, with poverty, and she wrote a beautiful letter to me, which I was not expecting, nor did I want. It was just about how, um, you know, I was non-judgmental and that she has never felt so supported. And I thought to myself, gee, I should write down what I did because I don't, I don't actually remember. It's how I treat everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's just being non-judgmental and just being welcoming. And I know one of the things I changed in my law school, which I know is really silly, but we always had a late, they always had a late slip with a turtle on it. And I change those late sips to say it's a welcome slip. And I, I try to meet all the kids that are late every morning and just saying thank you so much for coming to school. We're so happy that you're here. And it's such a different reaction that you get than handing a kid a late slip. And I know that's so, something small. That's not it is, small. I think that's it's huge. wonderful. That's wonderful. That's amazing. That's such a mind shift. I think that's but great. Let me, let me I think I might feel that. <laughs> let me push a little harder on a big question here. Um, she's writing about poverty of the soul, drugs, alcohol, bullying, and abuse. I'm going to reword the question, um, and that is, 
can can a school really help a kid overcome all those obstacles? Well, I think it goes back to what you were saying with the child with trauma that you definitely you recognize it and are sorry and um, know those things are happening, but that focusing on solving the problems and is is it's still going to work and even with the knowledge and um total non-judgmental and and everything that you have with the welcoming environment you still can solve solve problems of what's happening in the school and where are the lagging skills what what's what's the challenging behavior um and you know the biggest thing that I learned was sp- not spending time too much as a staff you know we're not just talking about you're talking about it quickly and putting it kind of away because it can get in your way of solving problems when you feel like you don't have hope and you feel like this is what's going to happen and this, this is what, you know, we can't solve these problems because they're too big. I think if you kind of change your mindset and know we can only, you know, solve the problems that are happening at the school and trying to, at the same time, making that um, nurturing environment. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get a little bit more specific. Do you have kids uh, and i love um the guidance that if we're too focused i'll paraphrase it on the things about which we can do nothing mm-hmm. then we may not focus on the things about which we can do something in the 6 hours a day 5 days a week 9 months a year that we have the kid do do you have kids who you both have worked with i know the answer is yes um, that came from extremely difficult home circumstances where initially people felt in the building felt completely overwhelmed um, by the what was going on at home, that you felt you had success with not only with the kid in your building, but also eventually with the home folks. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of you go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to say absolutely, and it it goes back to just uh, which CPS is all about. It's just about listening and Mm -hmm. and having empathy. And really it's just listening, listening, and more, and and welcoming. Many students we've had, but some in particular that stand out, we had a breakfast program, and I invited their whole family to come in for breakfast because, hey, it's not just about the kids, it's about family. And so at first, you know, the, both grandparents would come in with the child and we just made them feel so welcome. And then they would help hand out the food and, and it just it just became, I don't know, they, they felt safe, safe enough to tell me the things that were going on with them. And they were Aboriginal and they have different ways of dealing with things like going to a hot house. And, and I learned an awful lot about the culture and how they and how they work together as a family and the struggles that they have and it it made me more aware of just how important listening is and they would come in sometimes just just to chat and to tell me what was going on and could I give them some advice on this and could I help them you know find a way to do that and I I really do believe that it makes a huge impact for those children to know that there's a safe place to come and that people will listen I really do mm. I yeah, I totally agree and I think I just so totally agree and think that's our biggest successes have been when we 
are listening to both the families and the child and that non-judgmental um, piece is so different than what many parents have been used to so that takes a while to for them to really know that you really are there to listen and to solve problems and to work collaboratively um I think that's that's been where we have the biggest success you know from wherever they they're experiencing or whatever's going on that that empathy um that true genuine empathy is so life-changing Agreed. And is it safe to assume that your answer would be no different if you had an entire school full of the kids that we're talking about right now? Right. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Well, I, I did have a school full of, <laughs> full exactly. of those students. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for us today. We don't have time <laughs> for another question. Um Thank you both, as always, for your insights and wisdom. And uh, because I get feedback from people all over the world, I cannot tell you how many people tell me how helpful it is. So, as always, mm-hmm. thank you. You both thank on for you. next month? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We'll talk to you then. Thank you. Take thank care. Have you. Bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.